I'm going to pray, and then well, I'll have Onia start us off. Father, we thank you so much for uh, Pastor Wooten, our leadership for their vision that they have for Ohio. Um, God, we pray that the conversations that happen during this week, during today, would just add fuel to building your kingdom. Father, we thank you so much for the speaker that we had this morning, uh, his investment into our lives. We pray that the things he taught us, we would actually put them into practice. Uh, be with us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So in, in everything that we're talking about today, 
Um, we, we probably won't talk about uh, too much highlighting about race and all that. Everything we do as a church, it's baked in this whole racial reconciliation. So we're not going to talk about it, but just know it's baked in as a layer in everything we do. Um, I feel that where God is taking the 21st century church, he's taking us from tr- uh, like a tricycle to mountain bikes. And what I mean by that is on a tricycle, you know how it looks, three wheels is kind of clumsy and awkward. It could only do certain things. It could only go so fast. It could only go so far. It could only fully operate on certain terrain. Whereas when you think of a mountain bike, you think that thing can jump hills. It can jump hurdles, uh, run over uh, puddles. You can do so much through a mountain bike. The frame of it is extremely strong. The tires are fatter. They're bigger. And, you know, so it has several speeds that you can use. And so the stuff that we're sharing today is really through a lot of revelation over the last three years of my life that what God desires to do for the 21st century church, it requires each church to mature and stop using a training wheel model for what God designed to need a mountain bike function. Um, One one of my um, leaders, he's a futurist that's really influenced my life greatly. He said this. The first century church grew from 25,000 to 20 million in only 200 years. Let me say that again. 25,000 to 20 million in only 200 years. The Chinese church grew from 2 million to over 100 million basically in 60, 60 years. That's one grandmother. One gener- in 60 years, despite uh, considerable opposition, uh, without professional clergy or leaders, training facilities, buildings, everything. How did they do it is what this futurist said. How did they do it? The answer, it's not one thing alone. It's six principles in how they did it. One of those principles, we're calling the mature church. Um, another name of it is apostolic environments. When you have all these teams there together, and one of the ways an apostolic environment can happen is somebody calls the pastor and says, Pastor, I sense in my spirit. If you're a pastor, you know those people, right? God is, God is saying this, and we need to do that. And when that person tells that pastor that, eight out of ten times, the pastor is like, I don't know. What, what are you talking about? I don't see it. I don't get it. And that person feels that thing so strong in their spirit when they're communicating to that pastor. And if it's a staff member, what it looks like is a pastor's like, yeah, thank, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's great. I'm glad, glad the Lord is speaking to you. And the person's like, but, but we, need, we need to do this. And then you go into a staff meeting, and it's like, let's say it's Super Bowl season. And someone in a staff meeting says, you know, Super Bowl season's coming up. And we need to do this event in our basement of the church or somewhere where we have a big Super Bowl party. And then someone else steps up and says, you know what? Why are we going to do this at the church? That's a dumb idea. We need to do this at the bar, right? And then the prophet in the house is like, bar? We're not, we're not going anywhere in the bar. That's, that's like that's not that. And then the teacher in the house is like, well, when are we going to teach people about the word? Like, why are we sitting at a, at a bar watching a Super Bowl? We need to be having a Bible study, right? And then the apostolic leader is like, where are we going with this? Like, is this just a one-off event, or are we going to do this every year? Do we have a system behind this whole process? And you just have a whole room that they all became a threat to each other instantly. And then the prophet in the room sits and was like, I was telling the pastor like two weeks ago we need to do more. We need to reach out. But when this person says they, they just like their idea, and I've been saying this the whole time. And so you have this, when you get these people in a room, when you don't identify our function in the body of Christ, it creates a big, fat, let me rephrase that. It creates a church that's not mature. So it's not like we can't build with training wheels, but the mission is too great to keep trying to do it with training wheels of the tricycle. We need to shift the model of the 21st century church to one that has uh, a mature staff and apostolic environments. So what I'm going to teach today and what we're going to share today is what we realize are the principles to keep this team together. If you put these people on the team, each one of them is uber gifted, too talented to have you try to put a lid on them. It will not work. And not just that, most of them have never had to operate within the function of another one like that. So they don't really, teachers, 
really with, with prophetic people and apostolic people, uh, pro- prophetic people, they always feel something. I sense in my spirit, God is doing this. And teachers are like, what are you talking about? Apostolic leaders, they're always building. But can you just stop for a second and finish something and put a roof on it and just let us slow down? And so there's maturity for all these gifts. And so these principles is really going to help us the foundation of how do they work together. I'm going to share with you eight because we don't have time. There's 12. Um, We're actually writing a book on um, all these 12 principles to help churches and staff. So the first principle that we have here, so once you get everybody together, here's kind of how they function. The first principle is the principle of trust. So it's a hypothetical question when you get all these people together that everyone's thinking, can I trust you? And that answer has to be an emphatical yes. And that the way it plays out, that trust, it means this. Laura, if I'm working with Laura, Laura cares more about me than she does about her own self. I'm just going to say that again. Laura cares more about me and the trajectory and the mission of God and the call of God upon my life than she cares about her vision and where God has called her. This whole model that you're here to serve me, we have to do away with that. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. But let's finish it. How? By giving my life as a ransom. He knew his function. And so he went around serving up his life. He didn't go around serving somebody else's mission and somebody else's vision. He he knew what he had to do. And so being on these teams, it requires that kind of trust. That I can trust you. You have my best interest, my trajectory, the future of my ministry. As my leader, I can lay it at your feet, and I know you'll take me where God has to take me. So that's the number one. The second principle that we have um, here is it's called threat. And it's called don't accidentally become a threat. This is responsible for 80% of the church splits that we have and the church splants that we see. That's a split plan. <laughs> the, the, the top three is responsible for 80% of them. And I'll show you how they play on in a church staff and it becomes a cancer eventually till um, somebody just splants or the, the thing splits. The th- this is how a threat happens. And it's kind of these two go together. Uh, I'm on staff with Pastor Conan. As a staff member working under his authority in that church, my number one responsibility working with him in the apostolic team, I have to invest all my time to know this man's mandate. Problem is, most senior pastors do not know their mandate. They think their mandate is to plant a church and pastor it for 50 years. That is not your mandate. God gives people vision, especially apostolic leaders. And so once I spend my time on his apostolic team learning what his mandate is, my next response is don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. When he's speaking out of that mandate, I don't have to understand it. I don't have to get it. I just have to do it. Because if I come against that, I'm coming against the call and the vision of God upon his life. It's a non-negotiable. But guess what? He has to know my mandate. Because my call is not, it may be to serve him, but God, you might have another apostolic leader under your roof. And God has sent you there as an apostolic leader to parent them. The greatest function of an apostolic leader is parenting. That's a mature apostolic leaders. Apostolic leaders who are not mature, they build their ministry on the back of people who see how gifted they are and just want to serve under them. And they say, my pastor is such a great teacher. Did he teach you how to teach? My pastor is so awesome. Did he teach you how to be awesome? So they use that gift that's so dynamic to build their own fiefdoms. And then when they when they die or their ministry is done, no one else is that gifted to take over that whole empire that they built. At our church, my, my role is called the directional pastor. I, I, I'm not the lead pastor because that's not my function in the body of Christ. I'm not a shepherd. I can shepherd well. It's not who I am. So the church needs to know we need a higher shepherd in this house. Because the directional pastor has to stay up here because that's where they operate. 
apostolic leaders operate in two areas at the very at the very beginning of their ministry so at our church we have communities and dinner parties i will always forever be leading a community and a dinner party that's the entry of our church and then we have the ten thousand foot level i will always be there everything else in the middle an apostolic leader should have no business in there because a church can't grow if they're focused on the day-to-day but what apostolic leaders try to do, they try to pass the church and lead everything else. And the church suffers because there's nobody there to actually do it. And they're running around building and doing all the things that they do apostolically. You, you guys following me here? So when these things happen and I'm in a meeting with Pastor Conan and Pastor Conan is like, you know what? I think this is where we got to go. And I'm sensing this thing. I need to ask myself, is this his mandate? <laughs> if it is, I need to say, Pastor Conan. Conan, where do you want me to get in line? That's maturity right there. But when we don't do that, we become a threat to one another. And we start using this language. He just doesn't get the vision. He doesn't get the vision of where we're going. Are you in or are you out? The person's not in or out. Oftentimes, the person is speaking out of their own personal mandate, and they don't know it. And they're trying to project their mandate and what God has called them to do in somebody else's house. And Paul says, as a wise master builder, I did not build on another person's foundation. Okay, so that's how these two happens, and everybody becomes a threat. Just like in that example I gave, someone says, let's go do a, a Super Bowl party at the church. The evangelist speaks out of their mandate and is like, nah, we didn't do this at the bar. Because nobody's coming to a church. Let's go do it at the bar. You see how that? And you see those dings happen all throughout a church staff until the whole cha- staff loses trust in one another. Let's go to the fifth principle. The fifth, fifth principle is, uh, oh, fourth, sorry. Thank you for catching that, ma'am. The fifth, fourth principle, actually, we did skip one. Thank you. Let's see here. Yep. This is, the big one is transparency. And the phrase that says, um, don't make me guess what you're thinking. Because if I'm wrong, it's going to be deadly. Don't make me guess what you're thinking. Because if I'm wrong, it will be deadly to the staff. Once people are on a staff for eight years, three years, and they sense that I can no longer trust my leader, the leader doesn't care about me, that's how it manifests. You know, I don't really feel like they care about me here. I'm just this side thing. Because they didn't take time to know your mandate. They think your mandate is to come serve them for the rest of your life. No, their mandate is to develop you and send you out or have you stay in and work under their authority to fulfill that leader's mandate. It's one of the two, but you you can't have a third option because the kingdom of God isn't built that way, right? And so when you have transparency, um, it's the, and you have to train people of this, it's the ability to speak to someone in authority with respect and integrity and express to them how they feel and not get punished for it. This is how we can model that within a staff meeting. Someone is saying, uh, we need to go this direction, right? Um, Jeff Bezos calls this, I commit, but I disagree. We got to create a staff culture where someone can say, Pastor, I I disagree with what you're saying. Once you got strong leaders, they're not yes men and yes women. They got an opinion. Pastor, I don't agree with where we're going. I, I sense this might not be the right direction. Help me understand pastor shares it they go back and forth you know pastor i still don't understand i disagree but i commit not only do i commit i want to be the first person to help you fulfill where you say you want to go sign me up where do you want me and i will use my gift to come do it nine out of ten times if they do that that thing that the pastor wants it will succeed because nine out of ten times it was their gifting that they noticed was lacking in that idea. That's why they couldn't sign off on it. So when then they express that publicly, I disagree. They feel like I'm still a strong leader. You didn't make me feel like my voice is not warranted here. I can say it, but now they didn't create dysfunction in a, in a, a juvenile team. They sign up, they work, and that pastor sees them killing it for something they verbally said I don't agree with. And then you come back to the staff meeting and the thing worked. And the pastor should be able to say, thank you for supporting it. And that person should be able to say, pastor, I'm sorry. 
that was the direction we needed to go. And I'm so glad I committed to it and helped out. Or if the thing bombed, the pastor should come back to the room and tell that person, you told us <laughs> that this was a terrible idea and we shouldn't do it. But you still came and you still helped. And staff, I need to listen to them more when they speak up. You just built trust. You just made that person, no one became a threat and transparency was modeled in this concept of I disagree, but I commit. Here's another one. I see things differently. When you have strong leaders like this, I don't like to necessarily disagree with them because they're mature. They're saying if they don't agree with you, it's a reason. So rather than saying I disagree with you, I'm not in agree this. I'm not in agreement with you. You might be speaking out of your prophetic function that I can't see. Let me unpack that. I was a youth pastor. Youth pastors have to drive 15 passenger vans. And most of the time when you're parking on a big retreat, you can't see. So you get, tell a person next to you, hop out, and you say, help me back up. And you're looking in the mirror like this, and they're like, come on. And you're inching. And they're like, come on, you got this much room. And eventually they bang and say, come on. And then you like, and so that right there, you know, apostolic team, is what a senior pastor has to get used to listening to a prophet. The prophet is the person back there saying, come on, you got this much room. I see what God is doing in our midst. And the senior pastor or the leaders, I don't see that. Problem is, you don't need to see it because that's not your function. You and that prophet need to build a, enough trust within each other to whereby you just trust them. And it's called mutual submission within a mature team. But we wait till everyone has to see everything and then the thing messes up and they're like, I told you this was going to happen. And so when you have that transparency, that's how we're able to forge those teams together. Uh, let me go to the fifth one. The fifth one is offense. And, and this one is it's hard. The phrase that I use at the end of it and many um, – Eric, what is Eric? Pastor Eric, he's, um, but his professional career, he's a counselor. So he's like, Dale, you can't say that. But I think I can say it. I'm working on changing it, and he's helping me change it. But if you will get offended, get over it. And Eric is counseling me to change the get over it part because from a counselor, he's like, sometimes people just can't. So I need to work on what language we can use for the get over it part. So I'm not going to use get over it. I'll say, Forgive and move on. <laughs> but <laughs> the, <laughs> the reason I said that is two things. Once again, when you work on these teams, they move too fast and they don't have time to explain everything to you. What they're doing, where they're going, why you have to do it. And just because they didn't want to listen to your idea, you just walk home and you just go home frustrated and offended right now. And when you're moving with leaders like this, they're definitely not perfect. And if you see an apostolic leader, they're not warm and fuzzy. They're like, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. Get on. And it's hard for them to lead churches because they're like, you know, Pastor Clyde, Mir Pastor Clyde Miller hugs babies, kisses everybody. I mean, he's like the quintessential shepherd. And you have someone try to take over and they don't hug babies and kiss people. They're like, get to your point already. Right. And so you will get offended. Get over it. And then we use what's called care fronting. That means um, that was created by uh, Mark Miller. So rather than confronting someone, you care for them. You act like you still want to work with them. You act like you still want to be on the team. And you say, hey, um, Dana, we, we had a situation, and I would like to let you know when this happened, I felt this way. Notice I didn't say, Dana, you made me feel this way. Dana, you said this. No, no, no. When this happened, I felt. When you said this, Dana, I felt this. And naturally, because she loves me, her response was like, oh, my gosh, Dale, I didn't know my comments made you feel that way. I'm sorry. And then we work on it, and we get over it. If you don't get over it, you create secondhand smoking at home. You go home, and you tell your spouse, your family, everything they're not doing right at church. And you create a completely unhealthy environment. You start spreading that secondhand smoking to all the other staff members. And as people get offended, it just gets everywhere quickly because your feelings are too easily hurt. And so we've learned quickly on our team, people have to learn to forgive. And I'm going to explain what uh, 
Apostle Colette talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is this. When, when Dana has done something to hurt me, my natural response is, I forgive her, God, but God, I know you're going to get her. <laughs> no, no, am I right? God, I know you're going to convict her. God, I know you're going to let her know of her sin. And I, I, I forgive her, but God is judged. <laughs> and Dana, you will be judged. True forgiveness says, God, Dana hurt me. She, she admitted it. And Father, when she sees you, please hold it not against them. Hold it not against her. And that's what Jesus did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because if someone on your team loves you, they don't want to hurt you. And so that's, uh, you know, the idea of getting over it. Um, the sixth one is make room. O'Neal, what time should I stop for Q&A? Okay, good, good, good. So the fifth one is make room. Could someone read Numbers 29.33? Numbers 29.33. So there's 12. I think I'm going to stop at like 7 or 8. And then I can, O'Neal and I will both field some questions. You got it, Pastor Al? Yes, sir. Numbers 10, Numbers 10, 29. Okay. Numbers 10, 29 through 33. Yes, sir. Okay. Now Moses said to the Yeah, go for it. You'll be our eyes. We'll share with you. Go ahead. Okay, you can stop. You can stop there. So make room. Moses was making room for that man. That's what apostolic teams do. They don't say, I'm the senior pastor. They only got one room for me. <laughs> They notice that gift of somebody. I said, oh, well, we got to plant a church with you because I see that in you. They make room. Moses, Moses told him, I see your gift. He put his lane. He gave him a lane. The worst thing you could give to an apostolic leader is not give them a lane because they'll build everything. He gave him a lane. You can be our eyes. You can help us see. You can help us get there. And the number three, he told him, we'll take care of you. This is a family. It's not jobs. It's not positions. It's not like I'm going to. It's a family. I'm going to take care of you. You'll reap where you sow. So we have to, we make room for each other's gifts, even if there is no room. Uh, seven is uh, covenants. These teams engage in covenants, lifelong covenants. Here's why. Building the kingdom of God is some dangerous Navy SEALs type work. I can't do that with flaky people. I, if I'm engaged with you, we're doing a covenant. And that covenant is a one-page document, and it has do's and don'ts. You're not going to do this here. We call it I promise statements. You're not going to do this here, and I'm not going to do this to you. And if we engage in this covenant together, I am here as your uh, directional pastor to help you fulfill your mandate that God has put over your life. This church is a training ground for you. When you know your mandate, you can stay here and fulfill it, or you can go and I'll help you, and we'll start a network. And that's how you'll know if people are serious, so that when you break one of those covenants, you say, hey, man, I broke trust with you. What must I do to earn back your trust? And that person will tell you what they need you to do to earn back their trust. Trust is or it's, it's re, it's the account is filled. Someone said trust is not um, earned. Mistrust is earned. But you do have to get to know somebody, right? Um, eighth one, uh, 
definitely gonna be able to get it. Now let Onia has it. Uh, one of the things we have here is insecurities. Uh, and I have a statement for here for this one. Uh, the principle in insecurity states that if you don't deal with your insecurity, it will euthanize the spirit of adventure, creativity, and talented team members. If yeah, the principle of insecurity states that if you don't deal with your insecurity, it will euthanize the spirit of adventure, creativity, and talented team members. They'll leave. Insecurity starts to flare up when you see someone that's really gifted come on your team, even more gifted than you are as a leader. And you and you just and it just flares up. And so we say we consistently deal with our insecurities, take it to the cross, and when you have courage, you share it with the whole team. Because it it'll 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 stop everything. I'm gonna have Onia share and then we'll take questions.
So you see, like, mutual submission, all of these things are being done. Nobody promised each other what they needed to be in order to support a relationship and that that's our job as a marriage or as a family. So a person wanting to marry someone isn't necessarily committed to a Um, and then we'll go to Q&A, and I wanted to add something here. One of the phrases that we, I have locked in the back of my mind when I'm working with any of these folks is this phrase, I need you, which makes me listen when they speak. And then another phrase that I use, this church is dangerous if y'all let me run loose. And this church is dangerous if I let you run loose. Because teacher, if I let you run loose, we'll have 45-minute teachings where you'll just teach and, and the church will grow, but all the apostles, all the evangelists, they'll get tired. If we let the apost- uh, apostolic gifts run loose, the church will just keep going, and the shepherds and teachers will be like, what, you know. So I've learned the phrase, how can we meet in the middle? How could you get your cookie and I get my cookie, and we make this thing work? Okay, so we'll take some Q&A, and then we'll go through. Yeah. You will oftentimes you'll have to work outside of your mandate. And our base model that we go is each one of us is a child or daughter of God. At the end of the day, you're not a teacher. No, you're a son of God, right? This is a function. And so we like for people to stick within your function where you operate. But if, if the church is missing something, you can flex. And most of the time, apostolic leaders, they are given a tool belt where they literally can operate on all five. They're just that gifted. They can do all five because they're the builders. So what happens is if you're missing an evangelist, they'll just they'll be that. If you're missing a shepherd, they'll do that. And they need that unique gift to build the house. But as soon as that shepherd comes, the apostolic leader is like, you, <laughs> I just got this going. So you do have to come out, but you should not have someone stretch out of their gift too much. Um, what we like to say, we have this gift assessment that when everybody comes on our team, we figure out where they are, and then we let them know, like one person scored a three on apostolic, scored a 47 as a teacher. So we're like, hey man, we want you to hang around some of these apostolic leaders to develop that a little bit more, but we know that's not his natural thing, he's always going to be a teacher, and we let him rest in that. Another question? I can send I can send you the link for it. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then we'll come to Dana. Yep. September twenty, twenty twenty. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Second question. Great. It's a very good question. First step was I would first you as a staff member, I would go to whoever your senior pastor directional leader is and ask him or her, are you interested in this? You know, if they're interested, then I would say bring us in and let us present what this is going to be to their staff. Basically, if you do this in a staff, you're exchanging playbooks. This is not how a normal church staff works. Your whole church staff is abandoning an 80-year-old playbook to do this playbook, and we need to make sure this senior pastor wants this in his or her church. And if they say yes, when we'll give a three- to five-year transition plan for them to get here, not a one-year. But, you can, yeah, we can do that, and we just bring this in. Let's go to Dana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I, I see Onia nodding her head. Do you have something you would like to say, or should I take it? Okay, sure. It's a great question. I'm going to go back to the same scenario. It's with uh, authority and mandate. 
So whoever has the authority and the God-given mandate. So whoever's vision it was, God gave it to that person. So if it's a shepherd, teacher, whatever, God gave them that. So they have the authority to lead and facilitate the conversation. So if a, if a teacher or a shepherd has that, has that gift, and like we need to do it at the bottom of the church, mutual submission in a mature team, when the evangelist is like, they wouldn't say that's a dumb idea, but most people will say, oh, why are we going to do this? They would, they would knock that person down. A mature evangelist would say, I hear what you're saying. That's a great idea. I think we should do this in the bar. And a shepherd should recognize he's speaking out of his evangelist hat. I'm going to be so uncomfortable in this bar. I'm not going to like it. But guess what? We're going to reach some people today. And the shepherd mutually submits his idea of doing it at the church to that evangelist because that's their hat. And so that you have to have authority or whose idea it was or whose vision. But then you have to know your team to know when to submit to each other. have to share this story quickly so we've we've had this thing we have dinner parties and it's going really well and we do communion at dinner parties and so there's this there's this tension that's been happening where a lot of the evangelists are saying like dude you can't do communion right and then with the purpose of the event the purpose that she created for dinner parties is a specific purpose and that purpose lends itself to communion so the evangelist knows is this this is a tension to be managed but we're going to do communion at this dinner party because of the reason she has for it, who it's for, and now we are asking the evangelist, let don't don't go anywhere. Help us get communion right so that it is comfortable. So they have to stay in the race and use their gift to help us get communion right so that the reason she wants to do it, it all matches. But typically the evangelist like, come on, and they walk off. All right, another question. The principle, it's, that's actually uh, one of the principles. It's called full alignment. You, so there's three kinds. There's non-alignment people. Most of the time, you'll know them, and they won't even get there. But 80% of your staff on most churches, they're partial alignment. They really don't want to be there. They're, like half, they're, they're just there, but deep inside, they got something else that they want to do. They're partially aligned. And what you have to do is meet with that partially aligned person and say, what's God calling you to do? And you make them do that hard work of going in that prayer closet and figure it out. What's your mandate? And then once they figure it out, the next question is, can you do this in my house? Or do I have to make you a part of my network and I'm going to give you a covering to go do it? But I'm not going to give you enough rope to go hang yourself. I'm actually going to help you do this. So you help the partial aligned person get into full alignment. You don't waste. If you sense that in your heart, you have that meeting and you're transparent. Look, I don't think you're fully aligned with this. And here's the reason why. And you list out their actions that they're doing. You have that conversation. And it's a win because they're either going to come and get fully aligned and you slide them to the third position fully aligned. Or they're going to be fully aligned, just not in your house. And you're going to help them get see their, I call it land safely land safely somewhere else but then the non-alignment people do not waste any time with those folks get them out of there yeah sure 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 yeah yeah because we're family you have something to say Nina or 
Yes. Yes. And, and, and she is so right. And the principle that I have with that, I, Cadence can't get fired from being my daughter. I'm never going to sit Cadence down and say, look, Cadence, you're not getting anything. Because when you're building with family, it's like, I, I, this is not working. I'm going to help you land safely, or we're going to do it here. But Ania's comment is right. More questions. That's a great question. So we wrote a curriculum called Next. Most Christians do not know their mandate, and when we say that language, it scares them. So what we said in the curriculum called Next, we said, we want to help you take your next step. What's that? Nine out of ten times, they know what that next step is. It's in their spirit. They feel it. And we break figuring out their mandate in a series of next steps. The second thing is we tell them, if you don't know your mandate, Follow somebody who does know where they're going until you figure out yours. The best way to figure out your mandate is find a prophet or find an apostolic leader operating in their function. They will put you to work and they will have a place for you somewhere. But as you're working, you're there to discover yourself. And it's a series of next steps with them, next steps with them, with the Holy Spirit. And then typically that mature leader will help you find the the je ne sais quoi, the, the heart of what you are supposed to do. For example, my function, I'm a builder and I'm an encourager. I can do that anywhere, but I'm called to the church. And so you, you walk with people and you help them find them through them following, but they're not following you for the rest of their life just to follow. Does that, does that help? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Great question. If your lead doesn't see it, it's not possible. Don't try to make them change it. Don't try to make them shift it because you don't have the authority to. Because remember, it could, the, the normal function still works. I'm just talking about, like, how did the church explode? This is one of the six principles that they had. So it's not like the other function doesn't work. It's just not mature. So my answer to your question, how do we get there? If your lead person doesn't see it, you can try to have the conversation. Are they interested and have it? Secondly, I would say we do see it. It's everywhere. It's literally in this room right now. We just have the – let me see this. Uh, we do see it. These people have taken over the church and these people have moved out and started doing parachurch ministry, Young Life, Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, they're just so gifted. They want to leave the church and then they're, they're growing. Kai Alfred's killing it wherever they're at, right? All these people go here. The shepherds and teachers stay here. You know, you have someone like Conan, uh, Pastor Conan, who's in the house. He has that apostolic gifting. That's that's how he operates right there. The Ohio for Jesus, we got that from an African apostolic leader. You have a shepherd and a teacher 
and Pastor Wooten who said, I need this gifting, and we got it, and we're doing it. It's everywhere. We just don't recognize the function, and we're trying to make everybody these, and they're not. I think if your pastor wanted, I think we can help. You can bring us, and we can help do assessments. We can help do gift mix, and we can help, but the pastor has to want it. Yes, yes. That's what we. That's what 21st Century Church Network is. We want to train the prophets how to get in line and submit to an apostolic leader. Um, and submit that gift to that builder and work. They work like this together. Um, and so, yes, we have cohorts where we would teach them from, like, years of living this stuff. I counsel and coach many people over the phone in these things to stop church splits, stop people from quitting staffs when they don't need to. So we can help with that. We have – If your if your senior leadership team isn't aligned with it, can you still try to do this? Yes, yes. You can do this, but eventually, um, you're gonna have to let them know you want to create this model. Cause cause secretly you don't want to become a. No, no. I'm just. You, yeah, you could communicate it, but the general model sees you as a servant. You're here to fulfill my vision. So you just it, you can't it's two different playbooks. So you can be operating in it. Just know they're looking at you. Uh, I'm using wide brush strokes here. Right. It's not every church, but it's like you're here to fulfill my vision. And and so you can operate in it. It's like uh, I'll use a football analogy. If, if the quarterback calls a play, what happens if one person is running a different play? That answers your question. It's hard to do. All right. It's it's 1115. Uh, We're going to stay. I'm going to pray and end us. If anybody has any questions, we'll be here. But let me pray and end us because it's 1115. Uh, but we'll stay for Q&A. Lord, we thank you so much for our, our network and what you are doing through our leaders. Uh, Father, we pray that your hand would be upon them and the rest of these workshops will continue to provide space for us to learn and grow as a unit uh, for Ohio for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.